0: This podcast brought to you by Hope 1032.
1: Welcome to the Life Words a podcast, where we discuss life, faith uh, with you each week here on Life Words. And to do that, we do it with David Ray. Hey, David. Hi, Andrew. And ahead of us, we're looking at the issues that you've brought to us. Is suicide a sin? What should I expect from a sermon? They often don't affect me at all. And Jesus seems to link his forgiving us with our forgiving others. We'll be looking at these three questions over the next 20 minutes. David, good to have you back. Let's look at uh, the first listener question. Is suicide a sin? It's a very sensitive
0: question, this, obviously. Um, it's a it's a terrible problem in society, and it's hard to answer simply because um, there's a question behind the question. Um, you see, we've got to say, taking our own life is not something we're entitled to do. Our maker made us, and, and taking our own life is, is taking out of our maker's hands something that's really his prerogative, I suppose. He determines our lifespans, not us, uh, just like other situations where we take control. Um, but look, the hidden issue might be, I think, whether a suicide dies and dies unforgiven. Um is suicide the unforgivable sin? Often seems to be behind this sort of um, question. And I would categorically say that, no, it's not. No, it's not the unforgivable sin. However, we might determine whether or not it is a sin. It's not the unforgivable sin. You see, we're saved by trusting in Jesus' death for us. And, and if we sin and we die before confessing it, we're still, we're still saved. I mean, otherwise we'd never have assurance of salvation. You see, those who choose this course of action, obviously they're in great need and great despair. And, and I think we can trust God to show mercy to them. I don't think God's saying, oh, bad luck, you've done this sin, and, and you haven't had time to confess it. Uh, you aren't able to confess it and repent of it, so therefore there's no hope for you. But, I mean, as I say, we sin all the time. And don't always confess and repent of it.
1: And perhaps not even conscious that we
0: are. <laughs> exactly right. So, But my salvation does not depend on a specific act of repentance and confession. It depends on my trusting in what Jesus has done for me on the cross. And he only had to do that once. So I think I'd want to say to such a person, be assured it's not unforgivable, not even the worst sin we can commit. It's a, it's a, it's a terribly sad act of despair, and I would hate to load another burden on people who perhaps know people who have committed suicide and love to have committed suicide to think, oh, are they out of the reach of God's grace and mercy? No, emphatically they're not, because we know that God is close to those who are crushed and brokenhearted, and people who take their own lives are crushed and brokenhearted, and God is close to them, and um, well, well I, I, I'm certainly not saying that we can... Defin definitively say what their eternal destiny is. But then again, I can't say that of anyone, really. I mean, I've got to leave that up to God. But be assured that that um, just because someone takes their own life does not disqualify them from the grace and the mercy of God because uh, God is gracious and merciful. He knows their terrible, extreme situation. And I think we can trust God, to, who knows all about it, uh, to do the right thing. But again, be assured that suicide is not, in any respect, the unforgivable
1: sin. If uh, this sub- subject has uh, brought up some issues and uh, you need to talk or would like to talk to someone about it, Lifeline Australia is there for you. It's a 24-hour crisis support and suicide prevention service, and you can call them on 13 11 14. David, our second question is, what should I expect from a sermon? They often don't affect me at all, and I'll add often too long too.
0: (laughs) Well, as a preacher, I can understand that. I do hear that a lot. Look, let's face it. There are good and not so good preachers in terms of um, preparation and organisation. And look, sometimes we need to put up with a less than inspiring talk and seek to get what we can out of it. I think part of the problem of local ministers preaching in local churches now is there's so much access to great speakers on TED Talks on YouTube and other churches' um, websites and so on. So we're, 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 we're in a competition here. Um, uh, Preaching is not a public speaking contest. So, so look, I, I think, you know, don't, don't let's put the bar up too high. But I think preachers can always improve. And and let me just say, I, I think the the I, I used to teach on this subject at a Bible college, and and, and let me just say what I used to say then. And uh, there are three qualities to a good sermon or a talk. One, in the, 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 there's 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 truth in it. It's faithful to God's mind and will and heart. Otherwise, it'll lead people astray. So that that's that's very important. Second, it's clear. It's not much point if I'm speaking profound truth that reflects the Bible, if people are thoroughly in the dark about what I'm saying because I haven't presented it well or I haven't organized it well and so on, I've used jargon and rather than clear words. Um, clarity arises from being understandable um, and, and having a flow of thought so that you're not jumping around all the place. Then, And the third quality is that it's helpful. Um, so I can be true and I can be clear, but unless it's helpful, it's not doing much good. I mean, I, I think there's a category of sermons that I, I would call so what sermons. You listen to them and you think, well, so what? What, what difference does that make? So I'm always conscious that when I'm preaching on Sunday, I have to be sure that what I'm saying will apply and be helpful on Monday. There's not much point in me, say, as a preacher, simply reciting doctrine. You can read that in a book. You can get on the internet. There's wonderful Christian research sites. Um, um, preaching has to show how truth is applied to life. And I think what you should expect from a sermon is that it be faithful, to the mind and heart and will of God, that's clear, you can understand it, and third, that it's helpful, that it's actually going to say something to you where you can leave that church building or that wherever you've heard it and say, ah, that gives me something to bite into, as it were, uh, that, that, that gives you some help um, for the week. Um, so, I, and, and sadly, I think some preachers do tend to think that preaching is merely just simply giving a doctrine lesson and so on. It's got to be doctrinally based, obviously, but but as I say, you can you can learn learn a lot about Christian doctrine from reading a jolly book or a magazine article. So it's more important that that's why a preacher has to have a degree of personality injected into the um, the sermon. Uh, so and, and and also, like you mentioned at the outset, uh, some preachers go on far too long. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a common conceit of preachers that they think that the longer I preach. The more information I'm actually communicating, and that's not true, of course.
1: Uh, I guess the second half of the question, David, is um, they don't. Off- well, the the point is they don't often affect me. I mean, as a punter in in a Sunday service, what would you suggest? Because you, you're not only a pastor, but you're also attend churches as a as mm. a as a, some, a member of the congregation. I mean, how how do you absorb a sermon? Do you take notes? Do you uh, try, even if it is a dry sermon, try and pull something out of it? Like, what's your approach from sitting in the pew perspective?
0: Okay, uh... To be perfectly honest, if I think a preacher is going to be very—it seems to be very boring, disorganised, or whatever, whatever, whatever—I tend to switch off, and that's very ungodly, (laughs) you know. So let me clear that, clear the decks of that initially. But what I think is helpful to for anyone is to first of all having prayed for the preacher. It's not much point just complaining about a preacher. You ought to be—I think anyone going to a church or anywhere should be saying, "I pray for this speaker that what he or she says is going to really be be." True, clear, and helpful. Uh, So, okay, so I've got to pray. And then, yes, I've got to listen wisely. And I think taking notes actually is a very good way, and I I will often do that because while I did semi facetious, but also seriously say I tend to switch off, Um, uh, Actually, taking notes is my way of disciplining myself so that I won't switch off. If I'm taking notes, I might take notes and be all the time taking notes thinking, what on earth is happening here? What's what's he or she talking about? But taking notes, I think, is very, very helpful. Maintaining eye contact with a preacher is very, 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 very helpful um, because, you see, this questioner has said, they often don't affect me at all. Well, that may be the fault of the preacher, but it also can be the fault of the listener. Because you've got to got to listen wisely and and believe that, well, the Lord might be saying something to me here uh, in this sermon. But I tell you what, uh, this is a little bit beyond the question, but so much depends on the personal relationship that the people have with the preacher. This is why I think preaching is so important, which you can't get on the internet on TED Talks or anything like that, because there's no substitute for a person sitting in a, in a chair in a church building or wherever you're gathering together and listening to someone whom they know and who they care about, and who they know cares about them, that really provides a great framework within which you can actually absorb a sermon. Because I know some some in some churches where the preacher is not regarded as a great preacher, but the people listening to that preacher really. Benefit from it because they they've got a good relationship with them,
1: and you might have if and again if you've got that relationship, David, you might be in a in a in a position where if you have the courage, you could actually give some feedback to to the pastor or the minister about, oh, about sermons?
0: Feedback is, is very important, not, not just, oh, thank you for that talk, but, but being specific. I, I, think, I think it's great for people to say, I particularly think that was good, or or they might say, I didn't understand yeah. what you said there, or I'm not quite sure. Many people have said to me after a sermon, look, I don't think I agreed with what, when you said such and such a thing, and I'm thinking to myself... I didn't say that at all, you know, so there's always good opportunities for clarification. I think a sermon has gone very well in a church gathering when after it, after morning tea, coffee, whatever you're doing, people are talking about it.
1: That would be a sign of success. Indeed. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A with Andrew Morris, David Ray. If you want to subscribe to uh, the iTunes uh, feed, you can, and you'll be notified when there are new uh, episodes. Otherwise, you can uh, maybe subscribe to the LifeWords Daily Devotional, which you can find at hope1032.com.au. David writes uh, every Monday to Friday, a short reflection, and it's an awesome way to start each morning. And you might even want to pass one on to a friend occasionally. Anyway, that is all available at hope1032.com.au. David, our final question for today is, Jesus seems to link his forgiving us with our forgiving others. So, how would you explain that?
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting point that because it, obviously it comes, say, from the Lord's Prayer forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against um, us. And um, it, it, that seems to be saying, oh, you earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. Because I forgive you if you've hurt me, therefore God will forgive me. Now, that's not quite the point because um, we know elsewhere in scriptures that God's forgiveness is offered freely to us as we turn to Him and ask Him for mercy, we don't earn it. Um, I think Jesus is more saying we show we are forgiven by being forgiving people. In other words, one evidence of my having received grace and mercy from God is to show grace and mercy to others. It's a little bit like um, uh, when we talk about good works. Good works don't earn your salvation, but good works are evidence of the fact that you have salvation. And I think it's like this with forgiving others. Um, It would be very strange, would it not, if I, knowing my desperate need of forgiveness and having received and thankfully received that forgiveness from Jesus, refused to pass it on. That's what Jesus was talking about in a parable of the unmerciful servant. He said "That, that just doesn't make sense. So I think that's what Jesus is saying. It simply doesn't make sense um so so I, I think what he's saying is look if you are if you are not disposed to forgive others well it's a serious indication that you might not be forgiving yourself um but a caution about that, because this is a problem. This can be a problem if we, um, if we misunderstand forgiveness. See, someone might be thinking, oh, dear me, I'm having terrible troubles with this family member, and I don't think I've forgiven them. I'm still cultivating some resentment. I'm really struggling. I, 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 I'm st- I haven't got there yet. Oh, dear me, does that mean I'm not forgiven? No, it doesn't. Because forgiveness is always a process and a journey. It doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen easily. So I would say to someone who's struggling with forgiveness, just because you find it hard doesn't mean you're not forgiven by God. The problem comes when you're not even trying to forgive others.
1: Okay, David, that leads us on to this part, the easy three-step process to forgiveness. How would you suggest we, if, you know, it, it may seem like a dumb Thing to say, but, you know, some of us may not even think about forgiving others, or we just get so stewed up with bitterness that, well, I'm not going to do that, no way.
0: No, well, we, I think one of the steps is you, you actually face the fact that you're hurt. Some Christians practice denial. They say, oh, it didn't really matter, oh, well, I've got to forgive, so therefore I'll just forget, but forgiveness is not forgetting. Uh, so the first step, I think, is to say, hey, I've been hurt. And that, that was unfair. You know, I, yep. I I was hurt by that person, so you you accept it. Um the second thing is to 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 start um saying to yourself, and this is a this is a fundamental bottom line quality of forgiveness, I am not going to hit back. You've hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you. I choose not to hit not to hit back at you. That's the second choice. The third thing is to um, um seek, if you can, and it's not always possible, some means of dialogue exchange with that person, so that your willingness to forgive, can somehow or other be converted into reconciliation? Because it's a big question, this, and it probably it probably can't be handled in this segment, but, but forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. I might offer, you might have hurt me, and I might say, I'm not going to hit back at you. I am not going to let... What you did to me just distort and and misshaped my life. But it doesn't mean that we're going to be best friends again, Uh, because sadly, that's what God does. God offers forgiveness to everyone, but not everyone's reconciled to him. So I think those would be the three steps. Recognize the pain, resolve that you're not going to hit back, and then thirdly, try, if you can, when you can't always do it, uh, to to meet with the person, to dialogue and open up the possibility of reconciliation. And perhaps the fourth thing is, if there's no reconciliation, sadly, you have to live with the pain. You have to live with the fact that, yes, this is an impaired relationship, but all I would say to that is, well, God is having to do that all the time with all of us. So I think if you do, if you try, however imperfectly, to follow those steps, I think it indicates to you that, yes, you are a person who has received grace and mercy, and in your own imperfect and struggling and long-term way, uh, are trying to pass it on. But beware if you just sort of grit your teeth, as it were, and say, I'm not even going to start the journey. I am going to hit back at that person. Well, I'm not going to judge you and say you are not saved, but I would certainly want to say in the light, in the light of what Jesus is saying, you need to ask yourself some pretty severe questions.
1: This has been LifeWords q and David, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thank you. I look forward to uh, ch- ca- catching up with you uh, in our next episode. If you would like to listen to previous LifeWords daily devotions, hop online at hope1032.com.au and search for LifeWords Q&A. Otherwise, visit the iTunes store and you can search for Hope Media, LifeWords Q&A, and you'll find every episode that's been done with David and myself uh, right there for you to download. Till next time, have a great week.
0: Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.